you turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verses uh, 15 through 17 this morning. If you were here last week, we talked about <clears throat> Paul and his, uh, as he's entering into this defense of his Christian witness. Uh, he has done a wonderful job. Of course, that sounds kind of funny, right? Like, yeah, Paul finally figured it out, but um, <clears throat> of living this consistent life. We see the importance of your life. Your life is, is valuable, right? Um, what we show in our lives is ultimately what is important to us. Um, that goes with every philosophy out there, right? As we hear often, what's important gets done, right? And that's the saying of, show me your, your checkbook, right? Where you spend your money, I'll tell you what's important to you, right? It's, it's in line. What, what's important, those things get done. And, and Paul has been consistent in his life and his proclamation of the gospel. And this is, this is his defense, right? As the Corinthians are... <clears throat> kind of lumping up some criticisms against Paul, he is able to say, yeah, you know who I am, right? And how I've conducted myself in the world. And you know how I've been, especially towards you, as he says in, uh, in the verses we looked at last week, um, that the Corinthians unto themselves become this defense, right? That Paul can say, you know who I am. Well, this morning, as we looked at that last week, Paul is going to start dealing a little bit more direct. He's going to you know, in these three verses is really the, the kind of an entry uh, or an introduction, rather, to the verses that follow as he really gets into the theology of dealing with criticism. Um, but I want to look at these first three verses of this morning in a simple way of how to, how to handle, how does Paul deal with criticism? I'm sure if I was to ask you to raise your hand, have you ever experienced criticism? Imagine all of you would be like, oh, yeah, right? You're, you're talking my language. I'm resonating with that. I and mean, this is the reality. This is where we live. And some criticism isn't bad, right? Some of it is good. But uh, when, we, when we receive it, it doesn't mean we're, we have smiles on our faces and we're super excited, right? So you're like, yes, how can you critique me more? It's usually not our response to those things. And, and Paul is really getting the brunt of some criticism. So it's not unique to, to life. I remember this story of Haddon Robinson had shared this story of a, of a young musician who gave his first concert and he was super excited about it, but the critics were not very uh, kind to him. And so he was very discouraged. And one of his mentors patted him on the back and he says, remember, there is no city in the world where they have a statue to a critic, right? <laughs> Another person once said, he said, if you are criticized, you have either done something worthwhile or refrained from doing something foolish. So congratulations, right? So we have a lot of things that say, you know what, don't listen to the critics, but it's, that's easier said than done. And Paul's going to give us just a few, I just have a few insights on how he's dealing with these things and what he's, how he's approaching uh, those, those Christians, professing Christians who are criticizing Paul and they're questioning his apostleship Ultimately, which leads to questioning his, his message. And this is what Paul understands. So I'm going to begin in, in verse 13. We looked at 13 and 14 last week, and then we'll, I'll read through, uh, through 17 this morning. He says, beginning in verse 13, For we write nothing else to you than what you read and understand. And I hope you will understand until the end. Just as you also partially did understand us, 
that we are your reason to be proud as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. In this confidence, I intended at first to come to you so that you might twice receive a blessing, that is, to pass your way into Macedonia, and again from Macedonia to come to you, and by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. Therefore, I was not vacillating when I intended to do this, was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh, so that with me there will be yes, yes and no, no at the same time? As we look at this passage, let's offer a brief prayer. Father, again, we thank you for this time. And now, Lord, we ask as we've opened your word and we've read your word, we pray that your spirit would instruct us and teach us. Lord, that we would glean, that we would understand a little bit more in the importance of the gospel message. And Father, our response to it when we are criticized because of it. So we ask, Lord, that you would teach us and instruct us, and that, as always, get me out of the way, that every soul, uh, Lord, would receive what you have for us today, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, Paul was utilizing his Christian witness, right, how he conducted himself. This was uh, his defense, right? I mean, it's great to say, hey, I don't know if you've ever had that moment where you're able to say, you know me, right? You know who I am. You know how I act. You know what I do. You know what I say. And that be a defense. And people going, oh, yeah, I guess I, guess I wasn't thinking rightly because we do know you. And so Paul has, has stepped into this, his Christian witness, and now he's giving a defense, right? He's stepping into, uh, there's a fly up here, so if I do a Catholic thing, don't, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not that, right? <clears throat> But he's going to give a defense for this criticism. I mean, it's unwarranted, right? Some of these things, Paul is, is simply, it's out of his control. And he's going to unfold that in verses 18 through the end of the chapter, through verse 24. He's going to give us loads of theology. And he's even going to mention that some of this is God-ordained, right? Have you ever been judged for things that has been God-ordained, right? So they're not running with that. The Corinthians, they just know Paul hasn't fulfilled what he said. And so therefore, right, we'll, we'll, we'll line him out. We'll fix him. So Paul's coming to this, and you can imagine, you know, the, criticism isn't fun, right? And as I mentioned earlier, none of us sign up for that. Hey, where's the place where we can just get criticized? I remember one time watching this show back when I was young, and it was Don Wrinkles, and, and he was raising money. He was a comedian, and, and you would pay him a dollar, and he'd give you an insult. And it was amazing the amount of people that would show up and give him money, and he would just insult you, right? And it's maybe for a good cause, you might be interested in that, but Usually when someone's critiquing us or criticizing us, we're not excited about that. But here the Corinthians, and in this Christian context, he's receiving it from professing Christians. Paul, are you really an apostle? Can we really trust you? You can imagine the conversations, right? Well, he says he's an apostle. Well, yeah, I mean, can we really trust that, right? You can imagine the conversations that are happening. But Paul is he's not going to sidestep this problem. As we've read in the text already, he comes in first person, right? He's, he's talking about us earlier. Now he jumps into, here's what I, right? He's going to own every, every little ounce of this. And he's going to bring correction to it. So I think one of the things we have to realize in life, you know, criticism happens. I think as Christians, we know from the Bible that if you profess Christ, right, you're going to have trouble, right? Jesus tells us that we're going to be judged. You're going to be criticized just because of your Christian witness. 
And when I said that in my notes, I put, this reminds me of, of this far side cartoon. There's this picture of these two deer standing by a sign that says, hunting season now open. And one deer has a, has a target literally on his chest that's red. And the other deer is looking at him and the deer says, man, that's, bu- that's a bummer of a birthmark. Right? <laughs> it's hunting season. You've got actually a target for a birthmark. I think sometimes in life, right or wrong, justified, unjustified, you are going to receive criticism. There's going to be an ethic that's going to be exuded from you. There's going to be a way in which you make decisions. There's going to be a way in which you respond to troubles and to hardship, and people are going to question that. Uh, Hopefully, prayerfully, that doesn't happen in the context of a church like Paul, but they are questioning him. Now, not all criticism, of course, is bad, right? You students out there, I know at times when your parents say, hey, you haven't done this right, you're thinking, why are my parents criticizing me? You need to do your studies, right? Well, they love you, right? Uh, It reminds me of a story of Henry Ford Sr. when he was walking through his plant one day and he saw this young man who wasn't quite doing the, the work correctly. So he stopped him and he corrected him and he showed him how to do it. This young man was, was offended, right? The one, the boss, the, the, the owner of the whole, uh, everything stopped and did it and then did it in front of everyone else. And he just felt bad. And, and Henry Ford, seeing this on this young man's face, just simply responded and said, don't be upset. If I didn't think you had any value, I wouldn't have stopped. I wouldn't have helped you. So some criticism is good, right? We need to understand that. Sometimes in life, we, we just chalk up criticism. It's criticism, right? But, but there's a time in our lives, in our Christian witness, if, if you're standing for Christ and the Lord gives you opportunity and, and you're being criticized for, for simple things, standing for Jesus, right? A simple testimony. Well, how do we respond to those moments? And this leads to my first point. And my points this morning are very simple uh, it simply offer a defense for the criticism. Paul does not sidestep the issue. Right? This puts us and may put you in a situation where it might feel awkward, but he offers a defense. He offers clarity. Here's, here's why my plans changed. Right? He says in verse 15, in this confidence, I read the verses above this, right? He's speaking to professing Christians and how we are proud and how we're excited about the day of the Lord. We can rejoice right now because we're saved, we're redeemed by Jesus Christ. And he says, in this confidence, right? As I preach the gospel, you know the gospel. I know the gospel. I'm proud of you. You're proud of me, right? This relationship we have in this confidence, I intended at first to come to you. And then he says, so that you might twice receive a blessing. You know, I think it's important in life when we come to these moments of of critique, when someone is criticizing you, we have this tendency as Christians to say, well, I'm just going to turn the other cheek. I'm going to walk away from this situation. And that might be the right thing to do. You have to discern this. But I think at the same time, we should not be Christians who are simply doormats. Some people are, right, they're going to walk all over you. And there has to be a place if we're going to give a defense where we have to make a stand and say, let me offer to you, let me tell you why I believe what I believe. You know, when I think of doormats, I was looking at that, and most of them say welcome. I don't know if you've ever gone to a house that has a doormat that says, uh, the doorbell broken, yell ding dong really loud. I've seen one of those. (laughs) 
There was another one that, that said, I hope you told us you were coming over. I thought that was funny. I put it in my notes. That was really good. But too often in life, this is what we do. We just say, well, I'm going to take the easy road. I'm just going to be the doormat. I'm going to let this person criticize and, and just go after me. And that might be the right thing. It's one thing to, to receive criticism, but in Paul's case, he understands that if this goes on, they're actually going to begin to question Christ. His message is going to be questioned. Paul isn't going to sidestep this. In the moment of criticism, he comes and he's responding to it. Now, I know what you're thinking, right? Didn't Jesus say, we're to turn the cheek? Matthew 5, 39, Jesus says in his Sermon on the Mount, Do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other, uh, the other to him also. Again, he says in Luke 6, 27, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Well, how do we reconcile this? Is Jesus simply telling us, you know what? Get used to being a doormat. When criticism comes, just lay down. Well, clearly he's not teaching that. See, the, the goal, what Jesus is telling us, is to be blameless. Right? We are to, to glorify God and we're to love those who persecute us. So coming to this element of turn the other cheek, what is Jesus saying? He's saying, if they slap you, don't slap them back. Don't respond in kind. Don't make the conversation about, oh yeah, you're going to get me. I'm going to one-up this bad boy, and I'm, you're going to really feel the hurt. Right? That's flesh. That's pride, right? That's all of that tanked in that. And Jesus is saying, don't respond in kind. Don't respond in the way the world thinks and functions. You're not of the world. You're in it. You're not of it. But that doesn't mean you don't give a defense. Doesn't mean we have to simply be quiet. It doesn't mean that we have to lay down and say, okay, well, I'm the doormat that says, welcome, just walk all over me. Paul is responding to, the, to these criticisms. He's not making it about him. He's not coming and saying, hey, I'm an apostle. I'm the real deal. He doesn't come with any of that. Paul comes with a defense and saying, look, Corinthians, if you were confident, remember in context, if you were confident in the gospel that I preached, right, Christ and him crucified, if you were confident in this and it results in this confidence we have unto the day of the Lord that you can stand in Jesus, why are you now questioning my itinerary changes? Sounds kind of like kind of like a pointless, right? It's like kind of like a joke. Why are, why are you critiquing me on this? Paul even goes a little bit further. In essence, he's saying, right, there was a blessing, a twice received blessing. And the word blessing here is, Paul isn't simply meaning, uh, meaning that, hey, you get to spend more time with me, which is some of us would say, that's you're blessed to spend time with me, right? But he actually uses the word saying, this is a divine element. It was a divine blessing. Me changing my plans is actually really good for you, and it was going to be more work for the gospel. Paul, what's interesting now here is we have to understand that sometimes in these moments when we say, you know what, I'm not going to respond to criticism, if the Lord, even if he's opened the door and you have an opportunity, you've got to realize that if you don't correct the misunderstanding of the gospel, someone is going without that clarity. There's a blessing attached to your response, isn't there? And who knows how the Holy Spirit might use this. It might open a conversation into deeper or more spiritual things. 
you might have an opportunity in which to cite scripture. Let me tell you what the Bible says. You might have an opportunity to tell them about your testimony. Who knows how the Lord will use this? Maybe it opens a dialogue that continues on. But if you're quiet, that door is open and you stay quiet. Right? The world, even professing Christians, miss out. Because I think every one of you would agree with me, the world needs Jesus. We pray that. Well, how is Jesus going to go to the world? Guess what? He has you. He has me. Another thing we have to be honest with is that there are some professing Christians who need Jesus too. I don't think every person that simply goes to church doesn't mean they're saved. Going to church doesn't save us. Reading our Bible is a good thing. Going to church is a good thing. They don't save us. They are God's means of grace that lead us to Calvary. There has to be a moment in our lives where we come and we believe, we repent of our sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. To add scripture to this, listen to what Peter says, very, very common verse, 1 Peter 3.15, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. See, we are to do this. It is commanded of Scripture. The whole Great Commission is built upon this. So when criticism comes and they're critiquing you or criticizing you about Jesus, well, don't just be the doormat. Step into that. It's going to take discernment, absolutely, right? We have to be wise. We have to understand some people are always going to play the role of a critic. That's just, they feel they're... they're a responsibility in life. They're just going to critique. So, yeah, absolutely. Use discernment. But don't allow those moments that come into your life that the Lord ordains and structures that you would be a voice of Christ. Don't simply go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to choose the doormat way because of my own insecurities or my self-worth. Maybe it's fear of rejection. Don't let those drive these moments. See, in our heart and our passion, we want to be more pleasing to God than to man. And guess what, church? You're going to mess up doing this. That's okay. Right? We keep moving forward. We keep creating a defense. We keep having a reason for the hope that's in us. This is where we need to live. This is what Paul is doing. He doesn't make it about him and them, does he? He's turning and saying, you know what? My change of itinerary is about God blessing you. This, in the beginning of, his, of this verse 15, in confidence, in this element of, of shared joy in the day of the Lord of Jesus and what he's done, I'm going to do this. This is actually for your benefit. He makes it about the gospel. So if the Lord leads us to have an opportunity which to respond to criticism, whether, again, Paul is saying how he's conducted himself in the world and how he's done it in the church, especially towards the Corinthians, wherever we go when these opportunities come, have an opportunity, have a reason for the hope that's in you. Offer a defense for the criticism. Offer a defense for the accusation. Offer a defense. Engage in the work of apologetics with reverence and love. Don't let it become about you and them. Let it become about Jesus. Paul goes on from there, then leads to my next point. Creating a defense here, we want to we offer a defense. The next thing is be open and straightforward in your communication. 
right? He says in verse 16, that is to pass your way into Macedonia and from, uh, and again from Macedonia to come to you and uh, by you to be helped on my journey to Judea. So you notice that Paul doesn't try to hide the change of his plans, does he? He doesn't come and say, you know what? Um, you know, it was actually this, or he doesn't make some type of excuse. How often, you know, can we find ourselves doing that? Someone criticizes you or says something, and you just say, you know, I don't want to get into this conversation. Let's just make an excuse. Well, Paul is dealing with them open and straightforward, right? He's, he doesn't come, as I said earlier, hey, I'm an apostle. I can do what I want, right? Who are you to judge me? I'm an apostle. You're just First Church of Corinth. Come on, right? But we realize that, again, Paul is so focused on kingdom work that if he was to respond, and I think I mentioned this last week, if he was to respond that way, his whole defense falls apart, doesn't it? I mean, our life needs to match up with our profession. We're, never, we're not going to be perfect this side of eternity, but we keep striving, keep growing, we keep going. So Paul would be, if he was to do this, Paul would simply be a hypocrite. This is one thing I think we all know. Last Tuesday night when I was uh, with the youth, we were talking about this, and I brought it up. You, all the youth, you guys know what a hypocrite is. And without hesitation, they all, oh, yeah. And they all had a story or two that didn't involve any parents. Okay, I was, <laughs> but they understand it. We understand in life when there, is, when there is, you know, a hypocrite, someone who says one thing and does another. We don't like that, and we shouldn't be that way. Paul is open and straightforward. He's not speaking out of, and this is where it's going in his theology, out of both sides of his mouth. He doesn't say one thing and does another. He says, look, here's the criticism. I'm going to step into this and, and, and uh, give you a defense as to why, but now I'm going to tell you actually the reality of it, right? I'm going to be open and straightforward. We shouldn't make excuses for God's truth, right? When it comes to, hey, there's sin and everyone is a sinner, and this is why Jesus has come is pretty difficult to say to some people, isn't it? Because that puts it black and white. But don't make an excuse for God's truth. The Lord leads us that way. Don't be ashamed of his truth. Be open and honest. Bring clarity to this situation, right? Respond to these things. Paul is, is simply saying, look, these, some of these circumstances, this was my plan, but some of it was divinely changed. You'll say that a little later in this chapter. And so some of these Corinthians are simply going, you know what, uh, we don't like the fact, Paul, you didn't come. And he's like, you know what, God actually was one of the reasons he changed my plans. That's like being upset at someone who's doing the Lord's work. How dare you go and do this for Jesus? You're really upsetting me, right? But this is what's going on. So Paul tells them, here's, here's the change of plans. This is what I intended to do. Here's where I was going. I'll be open and straightforward. I was hoping actually you would join me in these efforts, that you would help me. And maybe there's part of the offering again. We saw in the end of 1 Corinthians, the offering to Jerusalem on his way to Judea. You would help me out and do this. I'm going to involve you in the ministry that God has changed my plans to be a part of. It doesn't hide any of these things. Now, I would say here, and I think it's important to understand, and I'm sure you understand this, is simply when we do this, it doesn't mean, you're, again, your critics are going to change. This may open a conversation, as I said earlier. It may be something we can, we can work with. But in reality, as we respond with openness and straightforwardness, at least the critics, if they decide to keep criticizing, are running now with facts. They're running with clarity. You know, some people just love to, to criticize. That's just the reality. 
takes discernment. We understand that. But when that opportunity comes, be that voice. I had a friend one time tell me we were talking about these things and some difficulties in, in evangelism and, and, and what we experienced. And he just kind of reminded me, you know, when, when those moments come and you're being uh, critiqued or criticized for Christ, you're in good company, right? All our heroes of the faith were criticized pretty heavily. Paul himself is enduring it right now. I've gained so much uh, encouragement from reading this, right? You see, Paul, how is he dealing with these things? It can be done. How do we deal with criticism? This is it. See, we run with facts, and people may not like your facts. But we run with objective truth. It's God's truth. And I'm not going to make an excuse for it. It's his truth. Now, I'm going to do this in love, right? So I'm going to be straightforward in love and respect because I know every soul is made in the image of God. And I also know that every soul is going to spend eternity somewhere. And I also know that only through Christ, because he is the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to God except through him. So we have to be straightforward. Be open to your communication. Don't make excuses for the gospel. It might seem easier, but we're not really loving. We're not really helping. We're not saying the hard things. This leads to the last point here this morning. <clears throat> we want to offer a defense. We want to be open and straightforward. But then also, as we see in Paul's life and in his words, be consistent in your explanation. It kind of ties with this. This is Paul's conclusion. He says in verse 7, therefore, right? He's reasoning it all up, and he gives us two rhetorical questions. He says, I was not facilitating when I intended to do this. was I? Or what I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? So that with me there will be yes, yes and no, and no at the same time. See, Paul is very stable. Right? He's a stable Christian in his word and his action. He doesn't change his message. See, I think we as Christians should be the same way, full of grace, full of love, Shouldn't compromise the message. Should be very consistent in what it is. It's amazing that Paul's opponents, I mean, everything they did was simply to, to respond, and yet Paul can, or to, to criticize, and Paul's response is the Corinthians. Right? These rhetorical questions was I, was I wavering in my mind? How important it was for Paul's life and living it amongst the Corinthians and now being able to say, when I was there, do I waver? Guys, do I waver in my thinking? Is my yes sometimes yes and then no? Was I speaking out of both sides of my mouth? And imagine the, the Corinthians sitting here and, and reading this are going, yeah, I guess we really, we really can't say that about Paul. Hopefully, right, as, as they're reading it. You can imagine someone coming and saying, you know what, you're just not thinking. Paul isn't thinking. That's their accusation is you're not giving thought to us, right? Somebody else is more important. You're not thinking about us or you're not giving thought because you're just fleeting, right? You, you say one thing and you do another. And this is their accusation against him. It kind of reminds me of that. There was a video that went about some time back and <clears throat> was this lady asking her husband, what, the, what does Y-E-S spell? And he says, yes. 
And then she asks, what does E-Y-E-S spell? And he says, uh, yes. <laughs> and he, she does it multiple times, and, and she is laughing, and he can't understand why she's laughing so hard. E-Y-E-S spells eyes, right? And he just can't see the difference after spelling yes. He keeps going, yes. And he's like, what is wrong? Why are you laughing? He can't get it. Clearly, he's not thinking, is he? He's not thinking about the words. I have heard one person say that, Christian, you should turn your mind off when it comes into worship. Don't ever do that. Don't ever turn your mind off. See, Paul is coming, and there's loads. That's why I say this is an introduction. There's loads of theology that follows these verses. Paul is being consistent as Christ is consistent. And this is what he's going to touch on going into verse 18 through 24, which we'll, we'll hit next time. But he comes and he intensifies his language. I mean, the first one is enough. Do I waver? Uh, of course not. And then as he says, when I'm with you, do I act like the world? Do I act like according to the flesh? Do I reason this way? To which, again, they'd have to say, no, you don't. And he explains the world, doesn't he? The world is yes, and then yes, no, and then no, or whatever, whatever works. I mean, the world functions this way. Whatever is right, then it's yes. And if it changes later, there's something better later. Well, then I'm changing my mind. I'm going that way. Paul really meant yes. When he said no, no, right? Why is consistency so important? Because he's representing Christ. Christ in the verses of 18 through 24, how God is faithful and how you say the same thing in Christ that is yes and yes. So it's important for us to be consistent in our mission, to realize that, that Christianity, our, our obedience to Christ is not just on Sunday, but it's on Monday. It's important for us to understand that God has placed you exactly where he wants you, that you are to be uh, the light that shines, you are to be that voice of reason, and when criticism comes and that door is open, you are to be the one that says, you know what, let me respond to this with love and kindness. Let me be straightforward and honest about what I believe, because I'm not going to make excuses for it, because I'm convinced, like Paul is convinced, that there is no other name under heaven which has been given to us, which we might be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. Let me tell you about Jesus. Now we know from scripture, some are going to say, hey, let me, let me speak with you a little bit more about this. Some are going to say, you know what, you're, you're a babbler like they told Paul, and, and we're just going to write you off. That's the reality. And so we have to discern to these moments, but the Lord opens the door. Paul is responding to these things because he doesn't want their souls and these professing Christians to think that his message about Jesus, which he's already reminded them about on the day of the Lord, to be compromised. It's what, is, what drives Paul? The gospel. He doesn't come and pull out of his back pocket and say, I've got the, I'm an apostle card and I'm going to lay it down here and you got to do it. He doesn't do any of that. It's not Paul engaging them. It is Paul saying, this is who Christ is. And he's going to unfold all of that in verses 18 through 24. And then he's going to go into church discipline in chapter two. You know, that's coming. See, this is why we need to be consistent. This is why we need to understand that. This is why we should be in small groups studying, right? Why we need to have a devotion time. Why we should have God's word open because we are to have a defense. God is going to place you in situations where someone may criticize you and say, here's an opportunity. Let me step into that. Let me be open and straightforward. I'm not going to make excuses for it. 
I'm going to be consistent. I'm going to live my life with what I say. See, we're used to this in America, right? We're used to this in the world. The world functions this way. And yet we're in this world. We're not to function like the world. And it's unfortunate today that there are many pulpits in America where the Bible is treated theoretically, right? It's, it's, is it really, did God really say, well, we kind of put ourselves above the Bible and we'll tell you what is true and not true of the Bible. It's very common. It's true that in many churches, Christ is just merely an example. Here's how you live your life. You can have it now. Just follow what Jesus did. Well, we are to follow him, but we have to make him Lord of our lives. We're to have that passion in us. There is much preaching today that avoids the word sin and repentance. But we need that. What does the world need? What do some of these professing Christians need? They need followers of Jesus Christ who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ to the point where they say, it's more important to me than my very life. I'm going to be in all my insecurities and all my my failures of my life and the brokenness of it. I'm still going to be a voice that is strong and courageous for the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you may criticize me for this, and I may not have all the answers to all your questions, but I'm going to do my best, and I'm going to respond with love and grace because Christ has changed my life. See, you have to weigh criticism over against your mission. Don't allow criticism to keep you from doing what Christ has commanded us. And for us to get there, To a place where we'll say, you know what, I will produce a defense. It's going to be some, maybe some scary times. Maybe it's going to be a little bit awkward. Um, You might be uh, fearful, but trust, just as God, Jesus tells us, I will be with you in the the commission, right, of the Great Commission. I will be with you. Now, we know theologically God is omnipresent, and he's ever-present in his omnipresence. In his, in his omnipresence, he's not a percentage of God there. No, it's all of God is there. So when you step into these moments, all of God is there. That's the promise of our Savior. He not only that, he fills us with his spirit and seals us for the day of redemption. This is, again, where Paul is going in the text. We know this. We know this to be true, and Paul is is stepping into this opportunity, correcting the Corinthians because what is more important? Is it more important to Paul that they know that he's an apostle and he has a right to say these things or is it more important that Jesus is Lord and you need to understand what this is all about? It's too common today and it's unfortunate. We need to pray against it that too many people will come to too many churches in America and walk out and think there's really nothing there. There's, no, there's nothing different with the people there and the people in the world. There are many professing Christians who just are going to criticize because, you know what, the this, this sermon is, is, talks about sin too long or there's these issues or this person was sitting in my, in my chair or whatever it might be and we lose sight of what the whole thing is about. 
on the Lord's day, his day, we get to come. We get to assemble together as his family in his name and lift our hands. And sometimes it's with tears and brokenness. And we worship this God who has redeemed my life. And it's not a redemption that's just for a moment or for a time. It's a redemption that he holds my life eternally and infinitely so. And he has done this right now. And he did it while the song we sang, while I was mocking him and saying, you let crucify him just like the rest of the world. Because in my sins... This is what I desire is darkness, not light. And yet while I am craving darkness, the Savior has come and redeemed my soul. That's the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is no way that we come before a holy, perfect God into his glory that is infinite, unto himself glorious. How do we get there? It is Christ. And our desire should be when those come and the door is open. Let me tell you about my Savior. Let me tell you about Jesus. I may not have all the answers to your questions, but it doesn't mean I'm not going to try. That's what the church needs. The church needs people who will say, you know what? I have forsaken the world. I've picked up my cross. I'm following Jesus. Let's step into these moments that the Lord presents. I'm going to offer a defense my faith. I'm going to bring clarity to the situation. I'm going to tell you why I'm a Christian. I'm going to be open and straightforward. I'm not going to make excuses about the gospel, about sin, or about redemption, about repenting of sin. I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to be consistent in my profession and my life. I love this quote from Matthew Henry. Talking about, you know, we shouldn't speak out of both sides of our mouth. He says, note Good men should be careful to preserve the reputation of sincerity and what he says, and constancy. They should not resolve but upon mature deliberation and they will not change their resolve but for weighty reasons. We should know this truth, know it inside and out, live it. And when we are criticized for it, tell them why. This is what Paul is doing. He makes it about the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. Thank you that we can in freedom and in joy, Lord, worship you. You have redeemed us. Lord, every soul that has confessed, I am a sinner in need of your forgiveness. Lord, every soul that has placed their hope, their faith, their life in you, we can have this confidence. But it's only those, Lord, who are in Christ that can have this confidence. And it's only those who are in Christ who, who are going to live different than the world because we are filled with your spirit. We have a different mission. We have a different king. We have a different savior. We have been changed, Lord, by you. And because of that, we are going to be different to this world. We're going to be a light that shines. And when we do that, Father, there will be criticism. There will be criticism from the world. We expect that, but also from, uh, Lord, professing Christians. But in those moments, I pray, Lord, by your spirit that we would give a defense with love and grace. We would tell, Lord, those why, why we are different. Father, that, that Christ would be more important to us than our very lives. And when they see it in us, and they ask about it or critique it or bring criticism, 
that we would respond straightforward and openly. We wouldn't hide our plans or our agenda. We would simply speak of Christ and his power to save. We would speak of our own testimony and how you've changed us and, and how we're living that life in front of them because we want to be consistent in our profession, in our decision-making, in our life, that it would mirror you and not this world. Lord, help us to have a, a glimpse of eternity. Let us realize that, Lord, all the best days that we can put together a million of them doesn't come close to what one day in heaven will be like. Let us also realize that our worst day put together with a million of them doesn't come close to what one day in hell will be like. Help us to realize what it is. It truly is about Christ. It is about Jesus. And Father, as, as we are redeemed, as we are your children, as we experience the freedom, the, the freedom to be a slave of Christ, let us go forward with a, a voice of truth, seizing the opportunities that you place us in, for you are sovereign. And Lord, encourage us by your word that you are with us, that your spirit, Father, is in us. You have sealed us for the day of redemption. Let our yes be yes that, Lord, you might use us to bring clarity to the gospel that we might see lives come to know you. Father, that is our desire. It is our prayer. And, Lord, we know there are many opportunities to get discouraged. There are many things that happen that, though we may feel, I'm just not, I'm not worthy to speak of it. Or I my life doesn't match this. And Father, if there are areas in our own lives, help us. Bring us, Lord, to our own moments of repentance. Expose to us by your spirit areas that need to change. Grow us in our sanctification. The things that, that we need to do, the places we need to go. Lead us that way. Help us to get connected, Lord, to other Christians who might walk with us and help us and encourage us. That again, Lord, our lives would reflect you and not this world. We thank you for loving us. If there's ever a moment, Father, where we might question that love, please bring us to Calvary. Bring us to that moment, Father, that even while we were yelling, crucify, you were redeeming. Father, we thank you. We love you. Please encourage us with this. Please strengthen us with this. Please let testimony come from these moments where we simply offer a defense where we're straightforward where we're consistent or may those opportunities bring about praise for you and we pray this all in the wonderful powerful name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen